Okay, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you on this rainy morning. We are so glad that you're here today. If you want to be making your way to your seat, we just have a few announcements as we begin this morning as you find a seat this morning. First of all, as you came in this morning, hopefully you all got one of these cards. If not, they are, our greeters have them around the room. They're also on the table in the back of the sanctuary and the table in the hallway. This is from a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. And next Sunday, November 7th, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This is when Christians all around the world get together and pray for our brothers and sisters who do not have the freedom we have and this is a prayer for the persecuted church. So that is next Sunday. So to help us get ready for that this week, this is a prayer bookmark that you can tear off and put in your Bible as you read Scripture this week to pray for the persecuted church. Now, when you come in next Sunday, we got something bigger than a bookmark for you. We have from Voice of the Martyrs an actual prayer guide. It's a booklet that will help you pray in the weeks to come for the persecuted church around the world. So when you come in next Sunday morning, be looking for one of the greeters if you're coming in for the Bible study hour. When you're coming to the worship service, be looking for not just the bookmark, but the whole big packet of how to help you pray for the global church. So be looking for those as you came in. Thinking about the nations as well, it is Operation Christmas Child Shoebox. Samaritan's Purse Ministry, yeah, and a lot of you have done these in the past. We're doing it again this year. I'm so excited about this. If you're not familiar with it, go to our website, gatewaybaptist.com. And on our website, on the blog, you'll see information about it. But what happens is you take a shoebox, you pack it with gifts and toys and things to help children in places of poverty. And they will take these and distribute them to children in need. But it's not just a, here's a nice gift. They tie it to the gospel. They tie it to the gospel message going forward. And there's Bible studies with the kids. And many, many children and their families have come to faith in Christ through the open door of giving a present to a kid who's never received anything like this before. So if you pick up a box there in the hallway just outside the church office here before you leave today, as you pick it up, you will see in the, already in the box is the label you need. So you tell what age kid you're doing this for, if it's a boy or a girl. You put that on there, and if you want to go online to the website for, for the Operation Christmas Child, it's linked on our website. You can actually give a small donation there. I think it's like $10, and then you can actually track your box and see what country your box goes to in the months to come. There's a brochure up on right above them, so if you need help knowing how to pack that, all that is available out there in the hall. I hope you'll pick up some of those and use those as a simple way for your family to help get the gospel to the nations. One last announcement this morning, just especially for some of our new friends who are here at Gateway. We have a thing that we provide to you called Dwell. I want to make sure you're familiar with this. This is a Bible app that you normally would have to pay for. unless you listen to scripture as you read it. There's different translations. There's different narrators. I listen to a guy named Felix from Kenya because it's a fun accent to hear God's word read in. But you listen to God's word as you follow along with there's Bible reading plans. You can listen to books of the Bible. You can listen to the whole Bible through this. It's a great tool to help you grow in your intake of God's word. We as a church provide that to you if you're a member or an attendee at Gateway for free at no cost to you. So just go to that website, dwellapp.io, slash sign up, slash with, slash gateway, and it will let you sign up for free to use the Dwell app. Our family uses it. We love it. I use it. I love it. I would just want to commend it to you as a, as a great tool to help you continue to grow in God's word. And so we want to provide that to you at no cost. If you will just go to that website, you can find how to download that app for free on your phone to have more access to God's word. That's it for now. So can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read God's word for us as we begin our time of worship this morning. I read to us from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, this is what we want to celebrate this morning. This is what we want to focus on this morning is God's grace and that glorious gospel message. We're celebrating communion at the end of the service today. We'll celebrate it as we study God's word and look at how we need his grace to change our hearts. We're going to sing about it as we praise God for his grace. As we think about this truth, we're going to sing a newer song. We've sung it a few times this morning. It's called Our Song from Age to Age. Here's what you're about to declare together to the Lord in worship. O God of power, living word, the one who made the stars, who with your glory filled the earth, from dust made beating hearts. You loved us when we fell away. You poured mercy on our souls, and you promised grace would come to save. Let's celebrate the grace we have in Christ this morning as we worship the Lord for his goodness to us.
gives us is the very breath that we're able to use to turn around and praise Him and worship Him. The very fact that we are alive is just a gift of God's grace to be able to turn around and worship Him. Set this up, all the earth. Shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing great are you Lord.
anchor of our heart and our life, that you are the one holding us. And we give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We want you to see a video update from one of our missions partners in Haiti. You hear us pray often for him, Pastor Mark. We want you to get to hear a word from him as they face many challenges in Haiti, to hear not only what they're faced with, but also what they are doing to advance the gospel. I am so pleased to take this short video today to say hello to you, um, to continue to thank you for your prayers, and to give you also an update on what is happening here in Haiti and in Christ Christ Church in Jamaica. I wanted to let you know that we are doing well, especially in my family, my wife, my son, we are all doing well, and all the members in Christ Fuller's Church are doing well. We continue to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to preach the gospel. The church is continuing to grow. As you know that we have eight uh, churches because we are planting church in the mountains where uh, there are no churches. We are doing very well, even if 
we are going to through a very hard and a very complicated situation in Haiti. I can tell you that nothing changed. Things are worse. Politically, socially, financially, things are very, very hard for us. We are going through famines that we never know. People are hungry. This is why the church always stands to help the families. We are having a food feeding ministry. We give food to the church members and people in the villages. Every Sunday we give them hot chocolate, bread, coffee, tea, water, every Sunday morning. Um, and when we have possibility, we give bag of wives to the church members and other people in need because we understand that the parents cannot buy food to feed their children. Every day, people come to knock on my door and say, Pastor, please help us. Pastor, help us to buy medicine. Pastor, help us buy food. But I can tell you that we always feel the hand of God. We never lose our hope. We never lose our joy because we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We strongly believe that God is with us. So, uh, we continue to point people to the Lord Jesus. We continue to preach the gospel. Uh, by the way, I would like you to train us in prayer, my brothers and my sisters, and get ready. Because at the end of this month, we are planning to send like 30 people in the mountains to preach the gospel. We send um, 15 of them in the church of Bossier, Lower Bossier, and we send 15 of them in the church of La Porte. Uh, they will leave Jacmel on October 29th and they will come back on November 2nd. So they will go in the mountains to preach the gospel uh, and to strengthen these churches that were planted years ago. So um, please join us in prayer. Also, we are planning to have the big annual conference in December, the first week of December, in which we have six couples that will get married, we have people that will be baptized, we will have children that will be dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are planning to have like 700 people from all the churches, from the eight churches, they will come to stay with us for a week in which we will have um, communion together, we will we'll eat together, 
we will uh, sleep together, we will worship together. That's a big event we always do each year. We would like to be able to send you this video just to let you know that you are always on our mind. We love you so much. We appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Bye. Father, we thank you so much for Pastor Mark and just for the good report, even though they're struggling so much in different areas, the famine and all, but we thank you for his commitment and the ministry we've seen over the years as we have partnered with him for easily over 10 years now and just um, hard to see you move in that country that is so dark that needs the gospel so desperately. And Lord, as he said, we just pray for provision. I know that he has many opportunities to connect with churches here in the states and other ministries. And God, we just say provide. Provide everything they need um, from a physical standpoint, emotionally, spiritually. Thank you for the protection and how well his family is doing. Thank you for these opportunities with the conference and discipleship that he's doing with other pastors and, and ministers as they go into the mountains to break the gospel and to get those churches established in Haiti. So Lord, we thank you that we get to partner, give us wisdom and strategy on how we can continue to help them, and help provide for them. But God, we just pray that a harvest is coming. You've already done amazing things in this country, but we ask you to continue to move, bring conviction, bring people to a place of repentance so that we can see your kingdom advance in that nation of Haiti. So again, we praise you and thank you for him. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here at Gateway. We thank you so much for Molly Moore and her leadership over the children's ministry here at Gateway. We thank you for all the amazing volunteers who give of their time to serve these young kids and to disciple them, to play with them, to care for them. We pray you continue, Lord, to, to bless this ministry and your protection and just as the gospel goes forth in so many different ways with our young kids. We thank you. And uh, thank you for Molly's leadership. Continue, Lord, to give her vision and uh, strategy and just good health and all that she needs uh, and wisdom as she looks to do what's best for our kids in the gospel. And Lord, we thank you so much for our partnership with Capitol Heights Middle School and for the Hope's ministry that we have connected with them and for Seth Rodebeck and his leadership. And again, all the volunteers that help faithfully each week in so many areas, whether it's the Tuesday morning Bible study or the tutoring of those kids uh, at First Presbyterian in the afternoons and providing of food or the backpack ministry, just all, so many little intricacies we're dealing with and able to serve this wonderful community of families. And Lord, we just pray for more open doors, that as our volunteers are um, encountering these different families and sowing into them and serving them, we pray, God, that as the gospel goes forth, there's opportunities for discipleship, there's opportunities to go deeper in relationship uh, with these families that you have uh, so graciously allowed us to connect with. And God, we thank you for New Life in Christ Church, the Hispanic church that meets here every Sunday um, after a we are gone and uh, throughout the week and the ministry of Pastor Samuel and uh, this church that has been here on campus uh, for over 10 years. We thank you for the partnership we have with them and the ministry that you've provided for them to the Hispanic community here in Montgomery. We pray for continued growth and ministry and continue to give uh, Pastor Samuel and his leadership wisdom and discernment on how they are to reach those uh, surrounding them. And we thank you so much, Lord, just for their partnership and friendship. And God, we thank you for your provision. Um, as we give today, you're a good God, and we are so, so blessed. And we just pray that you bless the offering that's been given online and those that have given today uh, to give our leadership and our staff wisdom on how to be good stewards of what you have blessed us with. And finally, Lord, thank you so much for our pastor, for our shepherd, Grady, 
Thank you for the opportunity this morning to bring the message. We pray for strength, pray for energy. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill him afresh as he brings the word for us this morning. Lord, I, I love seeing his heart each week as he dives in the word to teach us, uh, to love us, to serve us, to protect us as a shepherd does. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct him today. God, again, may we never, never, never take for granted that we can be here this morning, that we can meet as a family, that we can declare that Jesus is Lord, that we can come together in this nation that we have such wonderful freedoms to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. And we just thank you and praise you that we know you are here. Continue to manifest your power and your presence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship with Pastor CJ this morning. So first to fourth graders, you'll head with Pastor CJ and Miss Nikki to the gym building for kids' worship. And as a reminder, parents, as soon as the service is over, you'll head to the Blue Hall in the gym building to pick them up and check them out there. Why don't you find 1 Peter chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our journey through this amazing letter. Now, while you're finding 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to ask you this morning, friends, when, think back to when you were a child, so get back your own childhood in your memory. Did you ever ask your parents why? Why? If you have kids, you probably hear that question a lot. And if you think back to your childhood, you probably ask the question, why? Children have a tendency to ask why, especially when they do not like what they're being told, right? Did you ever say to your parents, why do I have to go clean my room? That's no fun. Why do I have to eat my broccoli? I don't like that. Why do I have to do more homework? This is busy work. I'm not learning anything. Why, why, why? We ask a lot of why questions as children. But it doesn't stop with just being a child, doesn't it? We continue on asking those why questions as adults as well, especially when we're asked to do things that we don't like to do. Why do I have to pay my taxes? Why should the government tell me how to drive? Why do I have to do that project at work? It's not going to accomplish anything. We ask the why, why, why questions again. Why do we ask those questions? Because authority is hard for us. The reason why children ask why so much is because authority is hard for them. And though we may not vocalize the why questions as much as the kids do, we still think them, if we're honest, just as much because we don't like authority either. There's a biblical counselor named Paul Tripp who I have a lot of respect for, and he puts in one of his books, he says, I do not always love authority. And I appreciate his honesty because he vocalizes what most of us feel, but very few of us are, are willing to express, I do not always love authority. And that's a hard issue for us to look into, and that's exactly where Peter goes next in this letter that he's written to these exiles and to us. He's showing us how to live as sojourners and exiles as God's people in a foreign land, in a place to where we, the God's people are not in the majority, and he's showing us what that looks like in various parts of our life. And as Rick showed us last week in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he begins with how we relate to the governing authorities, how God's people as aliens and strangers in the world to relate to the governments that are established above us. Remember back to last week, the one word that summarizes how we relate to the government is the word to submit, to submit to the governing authorities that God has placed over us. Now, what we're going to see this morning builds on what we saw last week. So I want you to look back at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2, just to get the context of what we're going to see today. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to, and to praise those who do good. Now, when we hear that, Peter anticipates our reaction, and he anticipates the reaction of the early readers to this, and the reaction he expects is, why? Why should I, as an elect exile, 
submit to non-believing authorities. My king is God. Why do I have to do what the governments over me tell me to do? Why must I obey earthly leaders? So as we come this morning to our text today, verses 15 and 16, Peter answers for us the why question. So as you read our verses this morning, we're looking for why it is so important for us as believers to submit to the governing authority. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version and we'll have the words on the screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you teach us all parts of our lives, including things that perhaps we don't want to think about too often, including how we submit to the government. So I pray today you take your word to sanctify us and grow us and be molding and shaping us into the people that you would desire for us to be. We ask you to do it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the main idea of the text, the big answer to our question of why. Why do we submit to the governing authorities? Then we'll unpack it this morning. Here's the big idea of this text. Our freedom in Christ leads us to gladly submit to the governing authorities as worship to God and as witness to the lost. Why do we submit to the governing authorities? The why questions of childhood and adulthood. Why? Because our freedom in Christ leads us to gladly submit to the governing authorities, both as worship to God and as a witness to the lost. As ironic as it sounds, we choose to submit to the government because we are free in Christ. Our status as far as a Christ gives us the freedom to now submit to the government, not begrudgingly, not angrily, not cynically, but joyfully, gladly. Why? Two big reasons he gives us in this text. One's horizontal, because we want to worship God. The second one is vertical, because we want to make Christ known to the lost world who is watching us. So for the sake of worship and for the sake of witness, we seek to obey the governing authorities. Now, friends, that is incredibly counterintuitive. That is incredibly countercultural. So I want us to unpack that and explore that idea this morning. So let's kind of take that idea apart from this text. First of all, the basis of our submission to the government is our freedom in Christ. We are free in Christ, therefore we submit. I want you to see this in this text. Look at verse 16. Let's start there. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, quick translation note here for us. As you know, 1 Peter was not written in English. It was written in the Greek language. So we're working off a translation here. When you work off translations, it's always difficult as you, for those who've traveled to other countries, understand the challenges of communicating between different languages. Now, if you look at verse 16 here, the word live, that appears twice, is not in the original Greek language. In fact, there is no verb in this sentence here. If you read the New American Standard, it has act instead of live. That's not there either. The original, what Peter originally wrote, has no verb In verse 16, it just simply says, as people who are free, as servants of God. So what is the verb if it's not here? Now, our translators are trying to help us by adding it because that's the way we would normally speak. But in the Greek language, this is a long sentence, and the verb is actually all the way back in verse 13. So look back up in verse 13. This is what Rick preached on last week. Here is the verb that carries through to verse 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject or submit. That is the verb. Now go to verse 16 and read it that way. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution as people who are free. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution as servants 
of God. The verb here is for us to continue to submit to God's authority. Why? As a free people. Now, what does that mean? Well, first we have to ask, what are we free from? When the Bible talks about you and I being free, what does that mean? Well, it means several things, and different passages in Scripture emphasize different parts of freedom. One we think about the most is perhaps the freedom from the penalty of sin, that we will not have to deal with the penalty of sin because of what Christ has done for us. We talked about this last year in our Rooted study. Isaiah 53, verse 11 is just a great summary of the freedom we have. This is, one of the, this is a prophecy of what Christ would do. Out of the anguish of his, Christ's soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That Christ takes the punishment for our sins, and we are now free from the penalty of sin. You see that all throughout Scripture? That's not the emphasis here in today's text in 1 Peter. So we think about freedom, the next place our mind goes is freedom from the power of sin over us, that in Christ we are not bound to have to follow our sinful desires. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 is one text that we see that. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now verse 18, and having been noticed set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That in Christ we are no longer under the power of sin. Christ has broken sin's grip over us. And that's certainly true, but again, that's not even the main emphasis here of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. So what is it he's telling us when he says, live as a people who are free? In this context, he's focusing on how we relate to the government. Peter is here saying, we are free from being bound to any government authority. We are free from being bound to any government authority. That means, friends, he's saying, you and I do not belong to the American government. To our friends from Korea, you do not belong to the Korean government. To our church members from China, you do not belong to the Chinese government. We are not owned by any government. We belong to God and to God alone. God alone is our ultimate authority. We are free from any human authority except for Christ in that. That means, that's why as Rick pointed out last week, the only time we push back against the government is if they call us to sin. We do not have to obey laws that call us to sin because we have a higher authority in God. For example, Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 29. You see a picture of this in the early church. And when they have brought them, these are the early disciples, and they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. Now, verse 28, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Okay, here is an authority that is asking people to disobey God. Don't teach about Jesus. This is one of those times because we are not bound to a governing authority. We are free to not obey this. And here's what they say about these early Christians. And what a great indictment, right? You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And what a great thing for us to long for, even here in Montgomery, that we have filled Montgomery with Christ's teaching. And he says, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. They're not sinning here because they were asked to do something contrary to the word of God. They are not owned by the religious leaders at the time. They were not owned by the Roman government. They were not owned by those Jewish councils. They had a loyalty to God and to God alone. And so they were able to push back when it violated Scripture. But as Rick pointed out last week, we don't push back over preferences, which is what we're more prone to do. We only push back when it is a violation of Scripture. So what Peter's saying here, if you go back to verse 16 today, live as people who are free. He's saying you are not bound to the U.S. government. You're not bound to the governing authorities. You are a free people under God's authority. But as soon as he says that, he gives us a quick warning here because we can use that mindset to go down the wrong path very quickly. Look at what he says. He's saying, submit to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up 
for evil. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? He's saying, yes, you are free from being owned or bound by any government, but do not let that cause you to excuse sin in your life, to encourage disobedience in your life. This is the mindset that goes, I'm in Christ. The government can't tell me what to do. And if you look at the news, you quickly see people who think there's no authority that is binding over them. But before we think we are okay, our hearts, my heart, your heart is so prone to go down the same path of going, I belong to God. I don't have to do what they tell me to do. You know, many years ago, I knew an accountant who was a Christian, and she said she hated tax season because when she did Christian's taxes, she knew they were being dishonest to the government and just broke her heart every year at tax season because she said, I know how they live. I see their standard of living, and I know what they're reporting to government. She said they're lying to the government, and it just destroyed her seeing that. But lest we think we're okay on that front, how do we handle the driving laws that the government gives us when we see the signs up of what we're to do and to not to do? The reality, friends, is we all struggle with authority, right? And we all can go, hey, I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven, I'm okay, and we use it to justify our sin in our life instead of our glad submission to the authorities that God has put over us. We can use our freedom to cover up evil in our own hearts instead of submitting before the Lord and repenting when we do not. Now, friends, Peter does this and mentions here because he knows the struggle. We don't pretend this is an easy thing. Submitting to authority, as Rick pointed out last week, is hard. As Paul Tripp says, it is hard. None of us naturally love having authorities over us. This is not an easy thing. I was driving back last night from a backpacking trip. We were three and a half hours away after four days in the woods, and I see that 70-mile-an-hour sign, and I'm coming face-to-face with this text before me this morning going, I want to get home to my family. I have to preach tomorrow, and my mind can quickly start going through many ways to justify I don't have to submit to the governing authorities on this because I need to get home for all these good reasons, right? But that's not what we're told here. Do not use your freedom in Christ as a cover-up for evil, as a cover-up, an excuse for our own sin in our heart that does not want to be told what to do. And Peter understands this because he struggled with it like we do. Think about Peter early in his ministry how rash and brash he was and how he struggled with authority. John chapter 18, verse 10 through 12. Think about what happened on the night when Jesus was betrayed. Then Simon Peter, so the crowd comes to Jesus and they're arresting Jesus. What does Peter do? He had a sword with him. He drew it. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Verse 11, it carries on. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall not drink the cup that the Father has given me. And then verse 12, you know it. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officer of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And Jesus, we know from other accounts, healed the servant's ear. Peter struggled with authority. Peter struggled with trusting the Lord in those situations. And so we know that Peter was a very rash person who was easy to react fleshly and worldly. But here you have Peter much later in his life. And I think perhaps he starts with submission to authority. This is speculation, but because of his own struggle with it, just like we do. One of the authors I've been, I study when looking through 1 Peter is a guy by the name of David Helm. It's been really helpful for me along the way. He said this. He said, Learning this lesson, this lesson of submission to government, did not come overnight for Peter. He said, do you remember the night Jesus was betrayed in the garden? Peter brought a sword that night. He thought this was his hour for action, and he cut off the ear of one who had come to arrest the Lord. But now, decades later, as an older and wiser man, Peter says to us, in essence, I've put that sword away. God has given a sword to the state, but except for the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, The church is to keep her sword sheathed. 
For Peter, preaching from the Bible was enough. It cut to the bone and marrow of the harshest in authority. Peter had learned his lesson. He was now free to submit. But Peter's calling us to, he knows the struggle because he struggled with it. But by God's grace, here is a much older and wiser Peter as he's been sanctified through life. He has come to a place where not only he's gladly submitting to government authorities, he is encouraging the church to do that as well. And that's exactly what he is showing us here, that we are now free, free to submit. We are free from the power of sin in our life, so we can choose to submit to the governing authorities. We are free from the demands of human governments demanding us to do sinful things so that we can now submit. Ultimately, we can submit to God. Now think about what this means, friends. Go back to verse 16 of our text here. He says at the very end, but living, which again, be subject as servants of God. Realize what this means. This means, friends, we have an authority more holy than the U.S. government. We have a standard much higher than any standard of all the laws of the state of Alabama that are put before us. Our authority is higher than the government. Our standard is higher than any of our laws. So don't miss that, friends. When we are free in Christ, that doesn't lower the bar for us so we can get away with more things. It raises the bar for us instead. Christ doesn't lower the bar. He raises the bar for us. And what is the standard? He's constantly, go back to verses 13 and 14. Be subject, submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God's standard for us is to obey the authorities, to submit ourselves, to give honor to those God has placed in authority and to follow them. Think of what Jesus said when he was confronted back in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew twenty-two fifteen, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in their words. They were constantly trying to catch Jesus and trap him. And they sent their disciples to him and along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. You do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So what a great trap, right? They're going to set him up with this. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a Daenerys. Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. You see what Christ is doing there? He's not undermining authority. He's not like, yes, you're free in me. Don't pay your taxes. Give that to the church instead, and it'll be much better used than the government can use it. The government squanders it. It's going to things you don't agree with. Don't pay it. Just give it to good causes. No, he says, no, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He doesn't undermine the human authority that God has established. Unless we go, okay, Jesus, I see that I'm supposed to do that. I don't like it. And I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to grit my teeth and do it. God doesn't want us there, friends. Remember, God cares about our hearts. He doesn't just want us gritting our teeth and doing obedience. He cares about our hearts. And so he wants us to gladly obey him in this. Even though we may not at first like it, he wants us to joyfully obey him. Go back to verse 15 of our text. Notice this. For this is the will of God, that by doing good. Now, just stop right there. He says, when you obey the authorities, you are doing good. This word good means what is morally right. You are doing the right thing. You're doing something that's beautiful. Friends, when we, God is calling us to do something not this horrible and awful. He's calling us to do something that is good and right, and that should bring delight to our heart. God wants us to have the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That's what the Lord wants for us. So friends, that's the what 
of this text, that we are to gladly to submit to the governing authorities because we are free in Christ, that we understand our identity in Christ. Therefore, we joyfully submit ourselves to the authorities above us in all things that are not sinful. But that is hard again. And so Peter now thankfully gives us the why question. Okay, God, I hear what you're saying. I'm to gladly submit to the authorities. Even if I don't like it, you're going to change my heart, so I'm glad to do it. But why? He's going to give us two reasons why we should do this. Two reasons why this is so important. Now, the first reason he gives us is a lot, perhaps like your parents answered you in the why question. Did you ever ask your parents, why should I do this? And they said, because I told you so. Probably hated that response, right? They told me so because that takes back the authority. But that's kind of what happens here with this, that God tells us, I'm told you to do this now, to do this. Look at verse 15 here. For this is the will of God. Notice how he starts this. Again, this is not an easy thing to submit to the governing authorities. So he's very clear. Rick brought this out last week. This is God's will. The subjection to the government is God's clear will. Now, friends, many people, when I talk to them, they get hung up on, what's God's will for my life? And they're looking for what's God's will for these things with careers or marriage or whatever else. But so often what I found in my own life and the lives of others, we get hung up trying to find God's will in these things that we're not sure about when we're ignoring God's clear will here. Friends, if we really want to understand God's will for our life, we have to start with where it's put in black and white right before us here. And God says, if you're my child, my will for you is you're going to gladly submit to the governing authorities over you. Friends, we are bound to do what God said. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. This is... A little bit later in Romans, where we looked at earlier, he says, you've been set free from sin, and it says, you've become slaves of God. Friends, our freedom in Christ doesn't lead us to self-indulgence. Our freedom in Christ doesn't make us the boss, the Lord of our own life. Our freedom in Christ means that we are now slaves to God so that we can obey him. And he clearly speaks to us here, back in verse 13 of 1 Peter 2, here's his will, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Unless we miss it, he bookends the text in verse 16 again. We submit as, that last phrase, as servants of God. Friends, don't miss something here. When we choose to obey God, we're worshiping God. We're saying, God, you're better than what my flesh wants. God, you're better than what the world tells me to do. God, you're better than the lies of the enemy. When we choose to obey, we are worshiping God. So friends, the first reason why we're to obey the governing authorities is because we're ultimately worshiping God. Because we're choosing to do Enjoy what God has said we are to do. You know, I mentioned David Helm's writings on First Peter. He said this, Christian men and women gladly and voluntarily put on the garments of submission. Well, that's an interesting way to phrase it. Christian men and women gladly put on the garments of submission. We are not operating out of blind adherence to rigid principles, but we're operating out of love for the one with whom we have a relationship. Because this call to submit to the government is not just rules for us to do so we can check boxes. It's rooted in the fact that we love God and that he loves us. He says, at the end of the day, Christians willingly submit themselves to people in authority because we desire our lives to be pleasing to someone, not to something. We gladly submit to people in authority because we desire our lives to be pleasing to someone, to God, not just to something. So why do we submit to the government authorities? First of all, because we want to worship God through our obedience. But God doesn't stop there. He gives us another reason why that we are to submit to the governing authorities. And the second reason is one that, again, is not what we would expect. is so that we can make Christ known to the lost world. It's so that we can make Christ known to the lost world. Now, we saw this earlier with holiness. Go back to verse 12 from just two weeks ago. He said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
of visitation. Now, if remember from two weeks ago, I know it seems like a long time ago, we talked about in that week that we take something soft as legalistic, go pursue holiness, go put on practical holiness, and we kind of roll our eyes at it or we treat it as legalistic. And instead, God says, no, no, this is a glorious mission. When you pursue holiness, it helps you make Christ known to the lost. Now, he's going to do the same thing here with how we submit to governing authorities. He's going to take this thing we don't like, submit to the government, and says, this is a glorious mission to help you make Christ known. So go back to verse 15. For this, the submission to authority is the will of God. Notice that by doing good, doing good here, submitting to the authorities, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So he's saying here, the lost are watching you. He calls them foolish and ignorant people. This is not just to be harsh, mean terminology, but he's saying what we see all the way back in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, how the fools are described. I think, do we have it up there? Proverbs 1, 7. There you go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He's saying there are lost people around you who have rejected the knowledge of God, who despise the knowledge of God. They do not love God. They do not love God's word. They do not love God's wisdom. And they are watching you. And they're not just watching you. They're probably going to, some of them are going to mock you. First Peter chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 warns us about that. We've seen it before, but First Peter 4, 3. There we go. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So he's saying there's a lost world that's watching you, and they are going to mock you, malign you, speak ill of you. But as you live a radically countercultural lifestyle and joyfully submit to the governing authorities as an act of worship to God, some of them, go back to verse 15, will be put to silence, the little bit, they'll be muzzled, that their accusations will become baseless because they see this radical difference in your life. In other words, what we saw before, that some of the lost people who are watching our lives will see the difference, and God will use that to open their eyes to the gospel. That's what we read in verse 12 a few minutes ago. One of the other authors I was reading this week said it so well, and it made me stop and think, I've never considered this before. He said, our submission to authority is the strongest apologetic against the view that Christians are never up to good. Our submission to authority is the strongest apologetic, the strongest defense of the faith against the view that Christians are not up to any good. It's a strong apologetic. Friends, people are watching us, and how we respond to authority becomes a huge witness to those around us. If you think about the world around us, if you think of the global church in China, what is the great fear of the Communist Party? That the Christians are going to uproot and cause societal upheaval and change the whole culture. What's the great fear in our own country as well? That we're going to impose God's standards on people and cramp their lifestyle and whatever else. All around the world, there's this fear that Christians are going to cause problems and mess up the society. And what is the great apologetic that no, we are a people who gladly submit to authority and all things non-simple. We are people who are going to do good. And what that we do is this great apologetic in our joyful submission to the authorities above us. So back to verse 15. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. As we do something that we, our flesh doesn't want to do, the world around us doesn't understand, we joyfully submit to the authorities. What's going to happen? Go back to verse 12. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That means, friends, our obedience to the government and all things non-sinful is not only an act of worship to God, it is a witness to the lost. 
when we choose in Christ as a free people in Christ to joyfully submit to the authorities, it is worship and it is witness. Let's bring it all back together to our main idea. Our freedom in Christ leads us to gladly submit to the governing authorities as worship to God and witness to the lost friends. This thing, again, that we roll our eyes at, that we push back against, that we resist, that we somehow seem as legalistic or harsh, God is saying, no, no, this is good. It's my good will. It's how you worship me. It is a way that my gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth. So in light of that, I want to ask you, friends, how do you personally view government authority? How do I view government authority? And I had to come face-to-face with this driving for three and a half hours yesterday. How do you view governing authority? When you talk about politics, when you talk about laws, when you come face-to-face with all the many rules and regulations from our government, how do you react to government authority? Friends, is your reaction one that shows a heart that wants to worship God? Friends, if your kids listen to you talk about governing authorities and laws and rules, do they see in you a heart that wants to worship God or to see in your heart a rebel who goes, not anyone's authority, but my own. And friends, also, what about the lost people around you? The accountants who help with your taxes, the people who are, follow you down the street in the mornings, your neighbors, whatever. What do they see about your attitude towards government? Is it such that God could use it to draw the lost to himself? I'm going to end with a quote from one of the authors I was reading this week. He thought it summarized it all so well. He said, God has transferred us in one profound sense from this age to the kingdom of his son. We have passed from death to life. But then for a season, God sends us back into this age, as it were, not as we previously were, as slaves to sin and guilt and the whims of this age. But we're now a free people, as aliens who live by other values and other standards and goals and priorities. We do submit. We submit freely, not cowering before human authorities, but gladly obeying our one true king. That's a good description of it, that we as God's people, a free people because of what Christ has done, we submit not cowering before the governing authorities, but joyfully and freely because we're worshiping God and because we want the gospel to go forth to others. And friends, as we say that, we recognize this is hard. Back to what Paul Tripp said that I mentioned at the beginning, I do not always love authority. And I'll echo him, I don't always love authority. And my guess is one of you, you don't always love authority either. So what is the hope for us living this way? God's grace. I can't change my heart to love authority. I cannot manufacture a heart that wants to submit to authority and joyfully do so. There's nothing in my own flesh that can make me see a speed limit sign and be like, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the governing authorities that you've put over me to keep me safe. That that is not a natural reaction. But the hope is I don't have to manufacture that and you don't have to manufacture that. When we get our tax bill for the government, we don't, we're not going to be able in our own strength to be like, oh, good, I get to give this back to the government. Thank you, Lord. That's not a reaction that we're going to have in our own flesh. But God produces that in us. We talk often of his saving grace, his grace that takes sinners like us and makes us redeemed. But we also talk a lot about his transforming grace. And when God calls us to do something, he doesn't say, okay, submit to the governing authorities, do it gladly, it's good, now go grit your teeth and do it. He says, no, no, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you, and I'm going to transform you from the inside out. As the Holy Spirit fills us, he changes our affections, he changes our desires. God takes his word, the Holy Spirit applies it to our life, and his word and the Holy Spirit conform us and transform us to create in us attitudes that we did not think were possible. So as you look at these texts of what we saw last week from Rick and what we're looking at this morning, you go, I can't do that, that's a good place to be because you can't do that and I can't do that either. But God can. And if we are his children, he desires to work this in us. 
So friends, this morning we're going to end thinking about that grace that saves us, that grace that transforms, and we're gonna do so with communion. Because friends, if we wanna be a people who are radically different, who understand that we are free in Christ, a people who understand that we are called to worship God, a people who understand that we have a mission to make Christ known, we cannot do that apart from the grace of God. So this morning we have to focus on God's saving grace in us, how this is possible, how God can change a rebellious people like me and like you into people who gladly submit to him and gladly submit to the authorities that happen because of what Christ has done. This morning we're gonna end our service today by remembering the cost of God's grace. We love talking about how God's grace is free, how God's grace is something that's a free gift for us, but it came at such a cost. So we're gonna end this morning by reflecting on the cost that we take the bread to remember that Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of our sins. The only reason you and I can be saved, the only reason you and I can be transformed and changed is because Christ hung on a cross and he took the wrath of God that should have been put on me and should have been put on you. He took it instead. And so we break the bread to remember that Christ's body was broken on that cross as he willingly submitted himself to death so that we could be forgiven. We remember in taking the juice that his blood was spilled out. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So we take the juice to remember Christ's blood was shed so that we can be forgiven. As we take the bread and we take the juice, we remember that Christ took in a moment on the cross the wrath that we should have felt for all eternity. And such, friends, this is only for followers of Christ. If you do not know Christ in a personal way, if you have not experienced his saving grace, his transforming grace, please do not come forward. We want you to stay in your seat. We're not gonna chase you down. We're not gonna embarrass you. But this is something that scripture is very serious about. It's only for those who actually believe Christ died for them and took the penalty they deserved. This is for, for only those who believe that. But friends, if you know Christ, if you know that you're a child of God, you've experienced his saving grace, it's evident because you also are experiencing his transforming grace, you are welcome to come celebrate, to worship him and by remembering his body that was broken, remembering his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, in just a minute, I'm gonna pray for us. After I do, we're gonna have some come to help serve the elements to you. We'll have some ushers who will direct you as well. Our praise team will come first, receive the elements, then our ushers will direct you. You'll come down the middle aisle. Please make two, two lines down and then return to your seat down the side. And for those who do not feel comfortable coming forward to receive the elements. There's baskets in the very back with pre-sealed elements, so you're welcome to get those and take those back to your seat instead. But would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your grace. Lord, we don't want those just to be mere words that we say, but Lord, we want to have hearts that really do stand in awe of your grace. Your grace that not only looked at us in our sin and our rebellion and chose to save us and chose to turn our hearts to you, but your grace that does not leave us in our sin, but that transforms us. And Lord, we confess as we look at even this text this morning, Lord, we see how far our hearts are from your will. Lord, you see in each of our hearts our propensity to want to push back against authority and want to be our own Lord, our own boss, and not to submit. Lord, you see how easily we do that. But Lord, as we come face to face with your word, we're reminded that you not only give us saving grace, you give us transforming grace. You shape us into being who you want to be. So Lord, I pray this morning as we celebrate communion, we would rejoice in your grace that saved us, that we would rejoice in your grace that has transformed us, and we rejoice in your grace that will one day bring us home when we get to see you face to face. So we pray you'll take these next several minutes as we reflect, as we pray, as we take the elements, that you would use this to remind us of your goodness, use this to remind us of your grace, and that we respond as an act of worship to you, our creator, that we ask it all for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.
Almighty God, we do proclaim you are the one who was and is and is to come. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, you are unchanging from everlasting to everlasting. You alone are God. Lord, give us grace to not lose sight of that this week. We've already sung earlier today about the trials we walk through and the challenges that we can face. And Lord, you know how quickly we can turn our eyes off of you, the eternal one, to these very temporal circumstances. So Lord, this week in the highs and lows of whatever we face, Lord, I pray we would not forget that you are the unchanging God, that we would sense your presence near us, that we'd run to your word, we'd run to prayer to abide with you, and Lord, that you would be our strength we need this week for whatever we face. Lord, I pray that when we gather next Sunday, we'll come in with hearts full, having thought about your gospel all week. So we ask that you turn our hearts to you, not just in thinking about these glorious truths when we're together now, but all throughout the week to come as you turn our hearts to reflect on your goodness, your grace, and who you are. But we ask it for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon, Gateway. Anyway.